Good morning. Thank you, worship team. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we're singing a song and it says, Alleluia, Alleluia, it just, it lifts my spirit. It makes me want to cry out, Alleluia, praise the Lord. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? We're praising the Lord. We have so much to praise him for. Breath, heartbeat, soundness of mind. He watches over us in ways we, we never even realize. And he brings us through things that we don't even notice. Our text comes from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 today. Uh, while you're turning there, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege to come into your presence today, Lord. Oh, God, that we can approach you, the living God. Father, I would ask that you would bless us this day with a visitation from you, God. Send your spirit down to speak to us, O oh Lord, through your word. Let that anointing come because it's that anointing that destroys every yoke that binds us. It's that anointing that opens our ears to hear you. It's that anointing, Lord, that makes us alive. And it keeps us. Oh, Lord, let your word go forth and let it touch us, I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. As I was studying this out, as I came across this passage, it occurred to me how much suffering is going on in the world today, how much persecution of the church is going on in the world today. And a passage like this should shock us. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even. To death, And this is something, even though it may appear to be foreign to us, as we are somewhat in isolation in our luxury and leisure as compared to the rest of the world. I just recently attended a missions conference uh, this past week, and to hear from the missionaries in foreign countries uh, the obstacles and the problems and the persecutions that they face, it humbles me, and, and sometimes it makes me ashamed because I am at such ease. I don't, I don't stand up here to, to, you know, swing the baseball bat of the scriptures. I don't, I don't try to bash anybody. All, all I'm trying to do is make myself available to the Lord to speak to us because we ought to be about his business. And his business isn't our ease. I don't, I don't stand up here intentionally trying to point to somebody because if I point to anybody, I have fingers pointing back at me. But I don't try to point to anybody and say, you, you, you're wrong. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And if anybody comes away from anything I say and they feel like, oh, he was talking directly to me, I wasn't. God was. And that's what we want. 
That's what I want. That's what I desperately need. Why? Because it's so easy for me to go astray. It's so easy for me to enter into distraction and lose focus on why I'm here. I am here. I am alive today to witness for Christ. Plain and simple. That's my only job. And I do that in every aspect of my life. Not just from this pulpit. Not just from a Sunday school lectern not just while we're in church, not just to the choir, but to everyone in, in the way I perform and conduct myself in business, in the, in the way I deal with my neighbors, in the way I deal with my children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters and parents, strangers, most especially strangers. But I don't want to get too far off topic. You know, Ephesians 5, 18 through 19 says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. This is the first time I realized that this, this verse jumped out to me this way. Be filled with the Spirit. And how are you filled with the Spirit? You're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what the worship team does for us every Sunday. They lift up our spirits because they direct our eyes to Christ. They, they bring joy to our hearts because we begin to rehearse all the good things God has done for us. It's a reminder, and that's how we are filled with... So in this sense, I, you know, I thank the Lord just about every day since the moment I came to salvation. He wakes me up in the morning with a song in my mind or in my heart. And I'm grateful for that because sometimes the songs reach us more easily than the scripture does. Especially when we go back to the old hymns and they're filled with the scripture. And one hymn has been in my mind a lot lately thinking about persecution. But it's a song that my grandfather used to sing all the time. It's one of the few memories I actually have of him. It's His Blood is on My Soul, and it's attributed to R.E. Winsett. And I'm not going to sing it, so don't worry, but I'm just going to read some of the verses here. Dear Jesus, all my sins forgave and washed and made me whole. I have sweet peace and joy within. Why? His blood is on my soul. The tempter cannot overcome or gain the least control. I have God's everlasting seal. Christ's blood is on my soul. I have his spirit now within. My life is in his control. I'm ready for the crowning day. His blood is on my soul. I am determined by his grace to reach bright heaven's goal. And with Jesus on his throne, his blood is on my soul. And the refrain is, his blood is on my soul. His blood is on my soul. I rest securely in his hand. His blood is on my soul. I know it's not a fashionable thing anymore to talk about blood or the blood of Jesus. I know we really don't hear that anymore. In fact, you know, I don't even read of it often anymore. Why? Because we, we want to lean more toward the lofty terms. You know, we have, we, have, we have made words to replace those things. 
So why do we say blood? Well, it's easier to say the blood of Jesus than saying through the propitiary, penal substitution, or vicarious atoning work in the life and death of Jesus for sin. That's what we mean, though. Propitiary is an appeasing or reconciling to God. Penal, because there was a penalty paid. That's why there's blood. There was a penalty. Substitution or vicariousness, because we could not do it ourselves. Atoning, because reparations were needed. For what? And I know this is highly unfashionable, but to placate the wrath of God in response to our sin. Maybe these words and concepts are new to you, propitiation, penal substitution, atonement, or perhaps more to this audience, maybe just talking about the blood is different. Perhaps... You know, you've heard a preacher declaring something like, it's the blood, it's the blood, it's all about the blood, and, and that sounds foreign or strange to us nowadays. I've heard many preachers say that. It seems like the more, the smaller the church becomes, the more country the church becomes, the more they say blood. And then maybe you're just wondering, why in the world is he talking about all of this? <laughs> well, with simple speech, this is why we talk about the blood. Every son and daughter of Adam, you, me, everyone else except for one, Christ, born, is born into this life as a slave. We're all born slaves. We're born servants, slaves to sin. Oh, I don't like the sound of that, but that's the truth. Due to the fall of man, the rebellion of Adam against God in the Garden of Eden, sin entered into the world, and with it, death, and Satan's kingdom was established. We really don't like that. God is sovereign. God is God over all. Yes, but Satan is the God of this world because Adam gave him the reins. It says here, Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as though one through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, that's not right. That's not fair. Adam sinned. I never even knew him. This original sin is imputed, meaning counted toward all men after Adam. Why? Because eventually every single one of us, by our own actions, reveal that we have indeed inherited that sin by exposing the wicked nature of our own hearts. Children are lovely until they're not. Right? Children are little angels until they're not. Do we teach them to be bad? No, we have to teach them to be good because the nature, that sin that they've inherited wells up and exposes itself. When that happens, we prove that we are rightful citizens of the kingdom of Satan. Preacher, I don't like what you're saying. I'm not saying it. The Bible is. I'm just saying it simply. 
see, we then find ourselves in a state of eternally being separated from fellowship with God due to our sin. The righteous wrath of holy God awaits us at that point. And we're alone. And we're alone with a just sentence of death upon us. This isn't comfortable. And maybe it's, maybe it's old news to you. But I think we need to remind ourselves because this is precisely what we need to be telling other people. This is precisely how we ought to live with this understanding that I was born in sin, dead, with death upon me, waiting for the wrath of God. And the blood of Jesus Christ came and washed all my sins away. How grateful ought we be not a breath should be taken for granted. Scripture tells us that an eternity of torment in the lake of fire awaits all who are in this sinful state, and so will be our reward. Born in sin, shapen in iniquity, alienated from God, enemies with God, judgment awaits. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Unless acted upon by an outside force. What's that outside force? Christ. Christ. In all its unsophistication, this is where the blood comes in. There must be a sacrifice for sin, something to pay the debt sin has incurred. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Romans 6.23, right? And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of that true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's his blood. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament point toward Christ. They point forward to Christ. Most of us, we would say, okay, yeah, I understand where you're going, and, and it's appropriate at the time of year. You're talking about Passover. He's our Passover, right? Yes, he is our Passover. But it began long before that. We have to go all the way back to Genesis, where Adam and Eve fell. They covered themselves with fig leaves. They tried to affect their own salvation. But God said no, and he slaughtered an animal and made them skins to wear. Something had to die for their nakedness to be covered. Christ had to die for our sins to be covered. Jesus' sacrifice is a propitiation He's paying the penalty in full, and propitiation means 
an appeasing of God's wrath. He appeases God's wrath. His death appeases that wrath. 2 Corinthians 5, Now all these things are from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, whoops, I back up here. Romans 3, 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. That's what we're talking about with propitiation. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. It doesn't matter what kind of outfit we make for ourselves, what kind of fig leaves we sew together. We can never cover our sins. It doesn't matter how much good we do. Because at the very least, all we could do is become neutral. We'll never enter into the positiveness of righteousness. That's where Christ comes in. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. This is a lot of scripture, but this is scripture we need. If we want to be able to defend our faith, and if we want to be able to witness our faith, we have to reasonably be able to tell people what our faith is. And they say, why are you talking about a man hanging on a cross? Why are you talking about the blood? This is why. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. That's what the cross is about. 1 John 4 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God had sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And we hear that a lot, but do we finish it? And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation allows for reconciliation. We need that, right? We're enemies. We're aliens from God, and we're enemies with God, so we need to be reconciled. Reconciliation is making a way for man to enter into fellowship with God, bringing peace between God and man. And this is where 2 Corinthians 5 comes in. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? By not counting their trespasses against them. This is what Christ has done for us. Colossians 1.21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. This second part of that verse really hits home with me. In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is where we need to be. 
what are you saying, brother? Are you saying, oh, we have to do all that work? No, that's the work he's done. This is why we need to be so thankful. This is why we need to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is how we have peace that the world didn't give us and the world can't take away. What is it? That now, because of Christ's work on the cross, his blood, we have right standing before God. Right standing before God. I'm a wretch. I'm a filthy wretch. Oh, people don't like that, but I am. You know, people look at me and say, he's behind the pulpit. He's, he's holy. He's a man of God. He studies the word. He lives a righteous life. I try to do it. But guess what? I fail. I'm not always as nice as I ought to be to my wife. I'm not always as patient as I ought to be with my stepson. I'm not always extremely relaxed in traffic. Come on. But when God looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees one washed in the blood of the Lamb. He sees one who has Christ's blood on his soul. When he looks at you, that's what he sees. We can enjoy this reconciliation because we have, in fact, been redeemed. I love the legalities of the Bible. The Bible is in is, is much legal language if we'll just receive it. It's a document. It's a legally binding document. That's why all these things are there. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased. Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Oh, it just gets better and better when we begin to look at what Christ has done for us. I don't deserve anything. When he saved me, I didn't deserve it. Guess what? I still don't. And newsflash, I never will. No matter how many years, if the Lord blesses me like Brother Theron and I live to be 99 years old and I, and I somehow impossibly cease to sin, I still wouldn't deserve it. It's Christ's righteousness. We are purchased by Christ. Our citizenship is no longer in the kingdom of Satan. It's renounced, and we are now officially citizens of the kingdom of God. How wonderful, what wonderful news. That's what we're offering. We're not offering, you know, your best life now. We're not offering prosperity monetarily. We're not offering ease from disease or sickness. We're offering entering into the kingdom of God. We're offering citizenship to the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2 says, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of the household. You are of God's household. This, all of what we just talked about, is what we call atonement. This is the atonement. This is the atoning work of Christ on the cross. 
and it is accomplished by the propitiatory penal substitution or vicarious atoning work in the life and death of Jesus for sin. Or simply, it is accomplished by the blood of the Lamb. There's another hymn I'm fond of, and I'm not going to sing it either. So 1927, L.E. Jones, There is power in the blood. It asks simple questions. Would you be free from the burden of sin? And I'm sure all of you are familiar with what's the response. There is power in the blood. Would you or evil of victory win? There is power in the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Would you do service for Jesus your King? See, it doesn't stop at the cross. It doesn't stop where Bunyan takes us so eloquently with Christian coming with the load upon his back and he sees the cross and the load of sin falls away. It doesn't stop there. It enables us to live a life for Christ as our king. Would you do service for Jesus your king? Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's power in the blood. Revelation 12, 11, our text, it says, and they overcame him they, the saints, Christians, those covered by the blood of the Lamb. Who did they overcome? The enemy. They overcame Satan. They overcame Satan's kingdom. They overcame his minion, the powers and principalities of the air. They overcame their flesh. They overcame our sin. They overcame the temptations of life and self. And you ask, how can I infer all of that? Because of the remainder of the verse they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony just as in the Passover account in Exodus 11 when the blood was placed on the lintel and the doorpost the destroyer had to pass them by right we all know the story the death angel is coming put the blood on the lintel and the on the lintel and the doorpost and he will pass you by by the application of the blood of Jesus upon our lives, that passes us by as well. They were there. What happened the next day? They were set free. The, right? The exodus. They left Egypt. They left bondage. It should apply to us as well. When the blood is applied to our life, we are set free. I love how Jesus said it. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed forever changed that change is our testimony they did not love their life even to death when you are redeemed by the blood you encounter something so real so wonderful so life altering that this life loses all its appeal or at least it should I'm finishing up. Don't, don't lose me yet. But it should, should it not? Why? Because just a moment ago, I was an alien. I was an enemy of God. I had the wrath of God weighing down upon me. But now I'm free. Now I'm clean. My record is expunged. I'm a, I'm a citizen in the kingdom of God. That ought to change the things I love. 
That ought to change the places I want to go. Back to Exodus 11. In the Passover account, who is the destroyer? Right? Remember, put the, put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel and the destroyer will pass you by. Who is the destroyer? In Exodus 12, 23, we read, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. Who? The Lord. The Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. The blood of Christ applied to our lives. We can declare we are at peace with God. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The destroyer has passed us by. God said no. Go on. We are no longer at war with God. This This should bring great power to our lives. Why? Because he's the one who enables that power. He's the one that gives us that power. The more we desire him, the less we desire this world, the more lofty our walk ought to be. The more free we ought to be. I don't have to judge anyone. Why? Because I'm no longer judged. I'm no longer judged. It's the blood. It's the blood of his cross that makes our peace with God, Colossians 1.20. It's the blood, it's the power in the blood. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, 1 John. Our lives are no longer our own, Acts 20. We belong to Christ, he purchased us with his own blood. And if you're wondering why I'm not giving you the verses, just the chapter, because I want you to go read the chapter. I want you to go read it for yourself. Don't believe me. Believe the Bible. We are confident in our salvation, justified and kept by the power in the blood, Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. No longer separated from God, we can fellowship once more with him. Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Bible talks about the blood an awful lot. And finally, Peter outlines for us that once washed by the blood of Jesus, our testimony and our lives must certainly change. 1 Peter 1 Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Also in all your behavior, because it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And you shall address, and if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth. That's not me. That's the Bible. Knowing that you were not redeemed 
with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. This is the overcoming, the blood of Jesus Christ. What brought me to all this was I was actually reading in the book of John. I was actually reading about the last few days of Christ's life. And there's a place where the Greeks come up to the apostles and say, we want to see Jesus. And in John 12, Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And this is what got me. Jesus now... Now my soul has become troubled. In another part, it says, to the point of death. And we, we're all familiar with in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is agonizing in prayer so greatly that his sweat turns to great drops of blood. And we know that's a medical condition brought on by extreme amounts of stress. Jesus Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. That's how important it was. It's the blood of Christ. In other places, he he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. It's not just for us. It's for many. And in another place, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We ought to be about his business. He has poured out his blood, not only that we can be saved, but that we would be able to then go and profess it to the world. Seek out the lost. This is not something we ought to keep to ourselves. That's what the church in other countries, the ones that are being persecuted unto death, they're proving, they're showing their testimony. They're not loving this life, even to the point that they say, even if you are to kill me, I will not deny Christ. Why? Because his blood is on my soul. And I'm finishing. Christ did not come to die to form a weak, helpless, or indifferent church. He did not die so that our lives would be more comfortable. He did not shed his blood so that we might enjoy our best lives now. He died. He shed his blood so that we might not remain dead in sin. He laid down his life so that we might be made free from the slavery of sin. He leaves us here to testify of the things that he has done. And my question for myself, and it's up to you to ask this question to yourself, 
Do I overcome because of the blood of Christ? Does my life testify being secured by the blood of the Lamb of God? Has this life for me lost all its glitter, lost its splendor? And is my prayer now even so come, Lord Jesus? Every morning I've made it, a, I've purposed in my heart to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And while we're here, his will is that we announce the gospel. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that it goes out and performs all your will, Lord, even in even in spite of the inadequacies of the speaker, Lord. Let your spirit put it into our hearts and let it find good ground, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.